have a public. Why don't you start recording it when he prays? You can keep this part off. Um, I have a public rule. Trembling. He's trembling. He knows I'm just one little thing away. Get it. Okay. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We truly want your word. We want something more than a teaching session and more than a seminar. We want the word of the Lord to pierce our heart and to make us holy as you're holy. We want to be pleasing to you in every way, Jesus. Father, we want to be pleasing to you in every way. Holy Spirit, we want to be available to every moving that you have for us today in Jesus' name. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that they love you. I thank you that they've tasted deep of the love of God. And I thank you, Lord, that you're equipping them, preparing them, and you're preparing us for the return of your son in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Matthew 24. We have about 40 minutes, and we're going to hit it as hard as we can for these 40 minutes. Matthew 24. Go ahead and just, even if preachers have overheads and have them on the notes, just get used to bringing that Bible out. Get in your hands on the page. Let your eyes touch it. Get familiar with it. This session is on preaching and teaching those specifically called to preach or to teach the gospel. And so I, I want to encourage us that to put things into context. You're in the only generation since the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ that it's possible for the return of the Lord Jesus. You say, well, Alan, I thought his, his imminent return. It could happen any time. No, oh, it's true it could happen at any time within the parameters that the scriptures have set forth. And Jesus gave two conditions for his return in Matthew 23, 37 through 39. You can write that down in Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 23, 37 through 39 says this. You will not see me again, Jerusalem, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus put a condition upon his return. You will not see me again until Jerusalem cries out for me to return. In other words, until Jerusalem receives me as the Messiah. That's why he told the disciples to meet him in Galilee. Precisely because he did not want to enter back into Jerusalem until the day when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord upon his return. And so that's the first condition. And here we have, after almost 2,000 years, Israel is in her land with her language and her customs. And the, for the first time in history, we have the ability for that condition to be fulfilled. Now, Jesus gave a second condition in Matthew 24, 14, which is this. The gospel will be preached to all nations, then the end will come. And Jesus knew that these two conditions would come together simultaneously in one generation, and only one generation can have those two conditions come together. Well, beloved, I want to tell you right now, it is within the reach of the missions world, and many of the leaders that I talk to from YWAM and other mission agencies all over the world, John Dawson and Mark Anderson and the various ones who lead these mission organizations will tell you very clearly, we are within the reach of seeing the gospel preached in every nation, tribe and tongue, in our lifetime. Beloved, I won't give you the statistics. It would scare you to know the real numbers of how the gospel is spread. You, you hear in the mission rallies, one third of the earth hasn't heard yet. 
Come on as a charge, a recruitment to the mission field. The reason why one third of the earth hasn't heard is because one third of the earth is just being born. They're born. But the truth is, as far as nations are concerned and people groups are concerned, if I was to name the top 20 nations in which the gospel has yet to penetrate, probably most of you in this room would know believers in countries like Yemen. Many countries in the Middle East, you would know believers probably there. I know many missionaries and actually indigenous believers in those countries. We're in the hour when both those two conditions can crescendo. And so therefore the context of preaching and teaching is very different from the one that took place in the 1940s, 50s and 60s. It's this. It is irrelevant anymore For you to just become a local pastor to have some teachings just to feed your flock. What I mean by that, of course that is valid and that is good and right and God will raise up local pastors to do that. But if the only vision you have for your ministry is to just go through the hoops to get ordained so that you can preach and teach in a local church setting and retire after 40 years. Beloved, that day is over. The days of our ministries, as we knew it, they are absolutely over. Anyone that's paying attention to the things of the Spirit and just history in general will understand and will tell you we have entered into a new era. We have entered into that phase in which the crescendo and climax of passions as the world becomes a global village, it's no longer about you giving a good message for people to stay in your church and tithe and to grow your church from 100 to 200 or maybe 200 to 500. Or if you're really anointed, maybe you'll get a 5,000 member mega church and be able to write your book and put out your teaching series. The days of those, of that ministry is absolutely done. You know why? Because now general populations and movements and passionate thrust of ideas are are crashing into each other on a on a climactic scale. Islam and Christianity have nowhere else to go but to one another now. Beloved, the days of just your preaching to edify your congregation on Sunday morning are over. The global village is taking place. We are at the end of the age, and ideas are meeting each other like two, like two or three or four. Um, freight trains going 90 miles an hour, or if you're in Japan, the bullet train 200 miles an hour coming like a dead crescendo. And that's the context we're in. And you need to understand that because if you don't, you won't set your heart to prepare right for it. And in the hour when a message needs to be heard and the gospel truly needs to feed your people, you will be found wanting and unprepared. You will not be a workman approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You will be weighed and found wanting. Not because God doesn't love you, but you didn't take his word serious enough to understand the hour. Beloved, that's where we're at, and that's why the message is going forth. And so we need to be rightly prepared as preachers and teachers. And we need to understand the context that there is a great battle of messengers that is about to take place on the earth. No less important than the days when Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron stood opposed to each other. No less important than the days of Elijah in the face of the priests of Baal. It is that kind of climax and crescendo and confrontation that's going to take place. Not, not, well, there will be bloodshed, but it will be more than that. It will be 
bloodshed after a crashing in a conflict of ideas coming together. Now, beloved, that bloodshed part is our blood because we don't blow people up if they don't agree with us. We don't do that. It's not biblical. We lay down our lives and we walk as Jesus walked. Even when we're not received, we walk in humility. But there's a clash of ideas. And I want you to turn to Matthew 24 because Jesus is going to name these. He's, he's named the first condition. He's going to name the second condition. And in the context of that, he prepares his apostles for the great crescendo of messages that are going to arrive on the, on the earth together. What does, how do we prepare for the hour of conflict when messages have no more room and they find themselves meeting one another? How should we then live? And what is the context we're going towards? Right now, the missions movement is predominantly preparing people to go to places that have not heard the gospel. But beloved, do you know, want to know what the end time scenario is? They've heard and said no. How do, how are you to be a messenger in an age when you're hated by all nations for his namesake? Well, that's never happened on the earth yet. Hated by all nations for his namesake. But that's the hour that's coming. And you say, well, that's fearful, Alan. Absolutely is fearful. And you need to embrace that and get the fear of the Lord greater than the fear of the conflict to prepare you for the hour to stand and having done all stand. It's a glorious hour for those who are wise and those who prepare for it. It's a terrifying hour for those who did not take the word of the Lord serious. And so we, we have to look at Matthew 24 with a sense of urgency in our spirit to prepare for that hour. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? So Matthew 24, Jesus is preparing his apostles for his leaving. He's been rejected by the Jewish leadership in the temple on Great Tuesday, Tuesday of the Passion Week. And as he goes to the Mount of Olives, there he has the great Olivet Discourse on the, on the um, end time scenario. And so therefore, he's not just preparing his apostles. He's speaking to a generation in which Jerusalem will become the focal point for the whole earth. And all the nation's eyes are on Jerusalem and the conflict of ideas crescendo and climax. And that's now. Everybody's eyes are on Jerusalem. Everyone on the whole earth knows the city of Jerusalem is the hinge piece for peace or war on the whole earth. Everybody knows it. It's, it's not, and God has determined it that way to bring everybody's eyes in this one geographic location so that when God releases his witness, no nations will be without an excuse. Beloved, God is a genius and he's the one that's wrote the script and he is bringing it to a climax and it's around this city called Jerusalem, the city of the great king. But beloved, in that context, he prepares the apostles for that setting. And so he's preparing us in his very first words to this answer of this question. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus' first words out of his mouth is this. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. My first point I want to make to you about preparing for this context is understanding the assault of darkness 
that is coming upon the earth with deception. You must be clear. The levels of deception that are coming on the earth are at such a great extent that Jesus said, take heed. Out of all the things you can learn right now, I want you to know this one thing. Imagine the first thing Jesus says to prepare his apostles for the end of the age. He says, you take heed. Now, he's not speaking you general for all the people of the earth who don't know anything about Jesus. He's speaking to the apostles. You take heed. You take heed lest someone deceive you. Oh, beloved, that, that's, that, that goes up about three notches. That says even those who are informed must take heed, must be prepared, must take it serious, must get, must get them as a vessel prepared to deal with the onslaught of darkness. He'll go on to say, for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will deceive many. Beloved, do you understand the literalness? He says, many will come saying, I am the Christ. Do you know right now, there's a gentleman from Puerto Rico who right now claims he's the Christ and has a million followers around the earth and 37 training institutions in America. A million. Some of you might go, well, that's, I'm the Christ. What does he mean? Like Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or what, what? Just cults that have a little bit of doctrine, different Christology. No, literal people who will claim they're the Christ. You know, right now, Islam believes in their eschatology that Jesus will return. They believe it. He'll return and enforce Sharia law all over the earth and kill every Christian and Jew who will not convert. Beloved, there are going to be false Christs with spiritual power unlike anything we've ever seen. This man from Puerto Rico has hardly any charisma, has hardly any anointing in his teaching that draws you to him, and yet there's spiritual power behind what he's doing that makes a million people sell their soul and sing the same worship songs that you sing to him. And you know what his answer is when they ask him, are you a false... How do, how do we know you're not a false prophet? He goes, well, false prophets will do signs and wonders. I don't do any of them. So I don't do signs and wonders, so therefore I'm the Christ. Sounds absurd to you, right? A million people plus are following him. And it's growing daily. My point is deception. Mine isn't. I'm giving you that example to show you of the amount of darkness that is going to be moving across the earth to deceive Many. It goes on. Three times in this, he's going to warn them. He says, many will be offended. Many will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. He goes on to say this. Look in verse 22. Or go to verse 24. Well, let's go to verse 23. You read them all later. <laughs> and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Speaking of the great tribulation. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. The inference is there's going to be many saying, I'm the Christ. Or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and great wonders. Look at this. To deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, is he saying the elect are going to be deceived? No. 
but he is putting up the emphasis that the deception will be such at such a level that the deception will be unparalleled to anything we've ever seen. Beloved, right now, in 1940 to 45, a whole nation followed a man to exterminate the Jewish people, and he did not do one sign or wonder. What will happen when the book of Revelation 13 tells us that he will do lying signs and wonders, the Antichrist will, and he will have a false prophet who will call down fire from heaven in the presence of many. Beloved, we have no idea what the human race will follow under the auspices of deception from Satan. Here's why. Right now we have this subtle idea in our mind that men and women can reason for themselves somewhat outside of the grace of God. The only reason right now the whole earth isn't led astray in one and one move of deception is because of the common grace of God, provenient grace that's working upon the hearts of men and women. Did you know that? Did you know in 1 John five nineteen it says the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one? And in that day, when this deception comes, Jesus is warning the church, you must be prepared and the messengers must be ready to give the faithful witness. Because that crescendo is coming. And I want to tell you this. If it's not coming in your day, do not be like Hezekiah. Because it's coming in your children's. You must get ready. And if Noah prepared the earth for 120 years before the flood, guess what? We have an obligation to prepare our children and our grandchildren for what's coming. Turn with me now. I'm just going to read a few others. Turn with me to Thessalonica. Second, Thess- Second Thessalonians. I don't think we're going to Thessalonica today. I don't have time to go over the references, but I want to tell you in Paul, John, and Peter, it is the same testimony. The end is near and deception is coming. Get ready. They warn of two things, persecution, deception, persecution, deception. And if you've read church history, you understand the first 400 years of fighting deception. Beloved, we haven't seen anything yet because signs and wonders have not joined to the deception. When that takes place, it will go to a whole nother level. Do you know millions of people watched a guy on TV do divination And talk to the dead and give them psychic information. And people watched it and soaked it up like Oprah. Just (sighs) He didn't do one sign or wonder. Not one. But you know what 2 Thessalonians says? Paul reiterates the Olivet Discourse. And in 2 Thessalonians, he says very clearly in chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Now, verse three, look at this. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God 
or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now look at this in verse eight. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Turn me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Turn me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. He goes on to say, there will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. And look, it says now in verse eight, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. He goes on to say, he says in verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's, he's reiterating this theme all the time. Paul's going, the end of the age scenario is one of deception. Why is he writing this to Timothy? Timothy is the preacher and teacher to pass on the torch to. Say, Timothy, Timothy, do not be timid. Confront these messengers of darkness. Know the truth, young man. Look what he goes on to say. He says, all scripture is given for inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Beloved, knowing the Bible is not a checklist to a ministry. Knowing the Bible is life or death to the people of the earth. And we've got to be real messengers, not just pastors of a local church. We cannot just be missionaries to somewhere to get our teaching ministries going. We have to become authentic, authentic at a gut level, guttural, knowing the word of God, feasting on it, chewing on it, believing in it, giving ourselves to it. That one day we might open our mouths and save a nation or a region or a people or a flock or a local church. We've got to go there. Beloved. We're not there. We've got a lot of eating to do. And nobody else can feed you. You've got to eat this thing. You've got to eat the scroll. And he goes on to tell Timothy, look at this in chapter 4. I've never, Paul is one step away from meeting his maker. This is his last letter. He knows his end is near. And here's his word, his charge to Timothy. Look, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Timothy, his dear son. Timothy, my dear son, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's serious language. And what does he say? Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? He will judge the living and the dead. Timothy, you will give account 
for what I'm about to tell you. Beloved, let me tell you, you will give account for what I'm about to tell you. Your choices really matter. Whether you go to this Bible school or that Bible school, you go to here or you go to there, you will get what you choose. There are so many levels of fantasies. I know so many men and women who chose a dead place to go to feed and came out as dead and they thought they'd be the one guy that beat the system. You will get what you choose. And if he called you to a dead system, you better hope he called you. Because if he didn't, you will get what you chose. Now, if you're a Daniel and he called you to Babylon, praise God. You just better make sure he called you and he put you in handcuffs and led you there kicking and screaming. You knowing what you were getting into. I'm being serious. I've watched more people in fantasy and delusion that they're the one guy in pride that knows it all and can decipher everything else in the controversy and make it through. Beloved, I've seen more corpses at the end of that philosophy than I have seen living, fervent, spiritual beings that preach the word of God with power. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to be a hotshot. I'm saying I've watched my friends lose their souls. I've wept over this much. That's the only reason why I'm saying it. He says, I charge you, you will give account, Timothy. And now look what he says. Preach the word, young man. Eat the scroll. Preach the word. Give yourself to God fully, Timothy. Do not be timid. Wolves will rise up in your midst. It says the spirit expressly says in the latter days, many will fall away from the faith. Many will will believe the lie. Many hearts and consciences will be seared and grow hard. Timothy, preach the word. Look what he says. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Beloved, I was in my undergraduate theology degree in a major denomination. And in that place, none of my professors believed in the divinity of Jesus. Not one. Not one. Beloved, right now, teachers to tickle itching ears are heaping up ideas for the body of Christ. And I want to tell you, Jesus is God in the flesh. He has come and His blood has atoned for our sin and on the third day He arose from the dead and broke the power of death and He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty and there He makes intercession until one day He shall return and judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, and He will rule over all things. Beloved, I want to tell you, let no one remove you From your Christology that the early church died for. It is the single most important issue in the church right now. Right now, so many seeds of deception have already been sown in your generation. Like Jesus. Like understanding who he is, what he's done. Already seeds like this, deadly seeds, there's no hell. Already have been sown in your generation. There are so many seeds of deception right now in your generation. There's no hell. Beloved, I want to tell you, I want to tell you as very clearly, I want to tell you as clearly as I can. There is 
a consequence, an appointed end, and a consequence for iniquity. God will not let evil reign in his economy forever. And beloved, there's good news to a judge like that. You know why? Because he's a judge like that, he will bring an end to this thing as we know it. And let me tell you, anybody who's ever been wronged, or I'll say it this way, you, I invite you to move to any major city like New York City and send the police chief home and all the security forces if you want. You go live in a city like that. I'm not. Ever. God is a judge. He will judge the living and the dead. And if you do not receive his love but scorn it, I want to say you as very clear as I can, you will spend your eternity in everlasting condemnation and torment. Revelation 14 says, The smoke of their burning will rise before the angels and the Lamb forever. Not because He's cruel, but because He is a kind ruler. And He will send people who do not want love to their choice. Now here's the thing. You're going, Alan, you're, you're really working this point a lot. Do you know why I'm working this point? Because half of you in this room are mad at the fact I'm saying it. What the church died for, for a thousand years, you're ready to give up and you're mad at the preacher because I'm telling you something so simple that was as far back as Jewish concepts and now was proclaimed by the church. Something so, something that Jesus spoke about more than any other person in the Bible, right now in your spirit, there is something, there's some, I don't like a God like that. Precisely. Because you're not, you have no concept of equity and justice. Neither do I, which brings me to the, to the third point. Right now in your generation, we have no concept of original sin. You think Jesus died for the good, for the bad part of your heart. He made the good part a little bit better. No, he died because your heart was wicked above all things. In fact, this, know this, the only reason why you have your next breath is because he let you. And if he snuffed it out right now, he would be just in doing it. Right now, it is offensive to our ears. I'm going to combine those two points. No original sin, which translates to we can all work out our salvation. And the concept of hell, I'm going to combine them. And this is a really offensive statement. Do you know your Boy Scout leader, neighbor, who is a Mormon or is a Jehovah's Witness, who doesn't come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, your Boy Scout or your or the wife who leads the Girl Scout den mother who lives a moral life outside of Christ, who's on the head of the PTA, if she dies in that good moral state, she will go to hell forever and deserve it as an offense to God. Stone him. I mean, that's, I mean literally, I said that. I'm not saying this because I like to preach on these things. Absolutely don't. I want to go bridegroom. I want to fill you. I I want to. But I want to tell you this. The reason I'm saying it, there are so many seeds of deception in your heart where you think you can pick what's true of God and what's not. We stand in our audacity in the West. Right now, your questions, you stand over this book and you think 
that you have an opinion concerning it. Beloved, I want to tell you something. This book sits over you and judges every action, every intent of your heart, every thought that goes through your mind. It is judging you. Not one word, jot or tittle, will fade away from this book. But let me tell you, your opinion will or possibly will if it doesn't line up. The only reason I'm saying that is we have such autonomy and independence. We have no concept of bowing low before our Heavenly Father and being taught by Him. And beloved, that's a problem in the generation where we're going. Because if you haven't settled this issue of bowing low and settling the issue of the authority of this book, you are totally unprepared for what's coming. You will vacillate. You will waver. And you might end up joining Bono's team saying we're all the same if we just serve the poor together. Beloved, you can serve the poor. And if you have not loved, you will go to hell forever. It is nothing. Jesus is the central issue. What do you do with the God that has said he has made himself known in this man? He's the issue. What do you do with the God that has said that he's made himself fully known in this man? And the only way to atone for the human problem, the human predicament of sin, is his shed blood and his holy love that took your place when you did not deserve it. And the very breath you accuse him with is the very breath he let you have. And if he took it out of your lungs right now, you would deserve to go to hell forever. Why? Because of the greatness of his kindness he showed towards you. And yet most of your thoughts through the day are unconcerned or uneven impressed with him. And yet the whole time he's sustaining you, empowering you, loving you, leading you, drawing you, hoping, praying. Moving, acting for you to come to Him. Sending you prophets morning by morning. Speaking to you. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Well, I'll come to you if you, you know, you prove yourself right and you, you know, you got to show me the discrepancies between the synoptic gospels and maybe I'll consider it. You know, I, I, I want to know about the conquest. I'm a little disconcerted with the God of the Exodus. Beloved, the God of the Exodus is showing up in your generation. And every Psalm 110, read it about your tender Jesus. Psalm 110, he is going to execute every king and every head of state who does not come to the saving knowledge of him and has taken the mark of the beast. He's saying, Alan, why are you saying all these things? I'm doing it as a teaching point to say there are levels of offense in your heart and my heart that we are not prepared for going into the context we're going into and it's going to take a radical abandonment to the authority of scripture the word of god and a radical seeking and digesting of the word of god and searching it and giving ourselves to it and asking for the holy spirit to make us vessels worthy of the calling Beloved, being sent is more than a couple elders laying hands on you and giving you some money to go to a nation for a couple weeks. Being sent is something given from heaven by which God esteems you 
into a calling that is beyond any privilege you've ever seen. And it's this. You get to tell the nations the truth when they don't hear it. When they don't want it. And you get to let them put stripes on your back and nails in your hands and a crown of thorn on your head and a wicked and perverse generation that doesn't want to hear it. And the whole time you get to love them well and wash their feet as they're killing you. That's where this thing's going. Well, I, I, I just really wanted to do a seeker sense of model and get my church big. That's what I was thinking. Have people like me get on the show, smile, have a great smile. People fall in love and tell them you can be the best. God's happy. No, that's not where it's going. God is preparing a church to lay down their lives in the midst of the conflict. And you say, Alan, you're being a little simplistic with some of these ideas. Beloved, I only have 45 minutes. No, I'm being serious. The intellectual guy who's offended will go, you know what, you didn't explain that well, you reduced it, you made it simplistic. That's part of your problem right now. You're not hearing the Spirit. The seed is in you. Beloved, we have offenses in our heart that we must lay down for God to begin to make us vessels again. We don't know Christ. You know what we are right now? We're like Isaiah 6. We're standing there in the year that King Uzziah died. We're in the prophetic ministry, but we've never seen the Lord high and lifted up. Our words are weak. Isaiah sees the throne, the one sitting on the throne, the robe that fills the temple. But he has no words to describe the king. None. He has no revelation on the king. And suddenly he sees the prophetic witness. He sees the seraphim declaring with six wings. They fly with two wings. Two, they cover their eyes. Two, they cover their feet. You want to know what that is? How do flying creatures lay prostrate before God? You want to know how? He gives them four wings to cover their eyes and covers their feet as the other two fly. They prostrate. They cover themselves and they declare the witness to the four corners of the earth. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy, whatever your mind accuses him of, whatever the nations say, whatever the philosophers of this age and their so-called wisdom, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Oh, I want to tell you, the witness of the seraphim are going out all over heaven right now. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Don't accuse him. Worship him. Beloved, that is the number one call right now to preachers and teachers. Will you worship Him or not? Will you worship Him? He has nothing to prove. Who am I to ascend to the hill of the Lord to inform Him of anything? Who is the Lord's counselor? Were you there? Did you speak to the ocean this far and no further? Did you number the stars? Did you stretch forth the heavens like a curtain? Did you hold the nations in your hand? Oh man! Oh man! Beloved, our arrogance has heaped up before God. We've got to go low. Why? Because you will never appreciate the depth of his vulnerable 
shameless compassion for you on Calvary until you understand the depth of your offense and arrogance before him. And he still flung himself wildly on that cross. And he's only going to raise up vessels in this hour who know that. And Isaiah 6, Isaiah hears the witness. And he goes, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm unworthy. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And that's my point of the sermon. This is where we're at right now. We have no, we've not been ruined by revelation. We've been caught up in issues. We go to seminary to become a little bit more informed about issues. Who will worship him? Oh man, who will worship him? Who will worship him? Who will prostrate themselves before him and go, God, teach me the deep things. You who use fishermen. You who are saving prostitutes before the scholars of the age. The philosophers of this age. You who are using the tax collectors. You who are using the weak things. Oh man, who are you? Who are you? Let's stand. I'm going to ask that God would come upon you in the next day and a half. And me. Beloved, I'm not sure I've been ruined by revelation yet. I'm not sure I've been run through. I'm not sure if all the seeds of deception in my heart have been removed. But I know this. The only way I'm going to get there is to worship, is to bow low, and to begin to get a view of Jesus high and lifted up, just like Isaiah did. That the coal would come to my lips, that I my sin would be atoned for. And then, and only then, can I say, I will go, Lord. Beloved, we need a generation who will buy into God sins people. For real, from heaven. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, if you feel like, hey, I, I hear this. I want to respond. If you don't, that's fine. God loves you. I, I'm not interested in, in my even my opinion right now. I want the Lord to touch us. We need a generation in America of preachers and teachers for real. For real. Who know the word of God. You just raise your hand right where you're at. 